this happened. I had to come all the way up to find out it was a light bulb. <laughs> kind of elongated. Yeah. Well, after the, I was waiting for the whole thing, and I thought I was getting ready to play it with you. I missed three in a row, and I was like, Good morning, everyone. I waited to the exact second I could see that clock. I said, it's time to start. I wanted to start three minutes earlier, but you know, it's okay. We're all together. Good to, good to have you with us. Would y'all please stand and let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and come ready to worship and honor and praise the Lord and exalt the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed and so thankful to gather in this place today. Thankful for your wondrous gifts, the talents, everything, Lord, that you have given and provided to us as we live our lives in humble adoration before you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege you give us each and every week to gather and to fellowship one with another but most importantly, to fellowship with you as a body, a body of believers who love you and love your word, thankful for your spirit, and thankful for the outpouring of your spirit each and every time we gather. And each and every time we come to your throne of grace, Lord, how we need to be immersed in your love and your mercies, your grace, and in your spirit. Continue, Lord, that work in us today as we come to honor you and bless you with the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And may the name of Jesus not just be heard, but live forth and lived out in our lives each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. One, two, three, four.
contain that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Heavenly Father, that is our heart's desire that you would set us afire, that we would burn brightly for you, that, that we would be filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and with your love. We pray for that this morning. We ask that you would continue the work that you've begun in us, that, that you would refine and purify us, that you would draw us closer to you, and, and that everything we say, everything that we do, Lord, that everything would bring you glory and honor. And this morning, to that end, we ask and we pray that that you would continue to help us to be attentive to the leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit, that we would be discerning about the things that you're desiring to speak into our lives and, and that we would desire to give unto you the sacrifice of praise, that, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and that everything that we say and do in this place would be for your glory and for your honor. And we ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Through the holy place. 
righteousness, but it's only found one place. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me up by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the holy of holies.
but the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for us can cleanse us of sin and iniquity. So we look to you, Lord. We look to you, Father, for our direction. We look to you, Lord, for instruction. We look to you for our everything because we know, Lord, that it is being in your will that will bring a better life for all of us, Lord. But, and it's not just because we want good things to come to us but because we love you, Lord, as you have loved us. We love you because you chose us first. You dragged us out of where we were walking, Lord, in darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. How could we ever repay that? Lord, but you are so good. You don't expect that payment, Father. It was from your love that you gave so much to us. And we're grateful this morning. We thank you. We exalt your name. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Please turn and greet someone in the love of the Lord. Good morning. How is everyone? That's what I thought. <clears throat> In your bulletins this morning, I don't see the gentlemen out there. Uh, greeters, just let me, let me ask you, is there anyone here for the very first time at this Calvary Chapel? Would you raise your hand, please, and just let us greet you? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for being with us. It's, it's wonderful to have you. 
Let us know if we can help in anything, and uh, thank you for spending your Sundays with us, and you're always welcome here. Always welcome to the house of God. Amen? And among your brothers and sisters. Uh, I'd like to call your attention to the very first announcement on the uh, bulletin here, and that is the scholarship fundraiser, which will be going on today. If you purchase tickets, please pick up your arrachera, wow, whatever that is, skirt meat plate, and they will be uh, in the cafe on Sunday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So if you did buy a ticket, please come by and pick up your plate. Uh, if you didn't get a ticket, they still have plenty for you, so come on by. All proceeds will benefit the Calvary Chapel of El Paso Scholarship Fund, which will be taking place uh, just in, in a few weeks as well. And tickets are still available, it says here, uh, in the foyer. So if you would like to help with that, it will benefit two things. It'll help the scholarship fund, and needless to say, you're going to be satisfied as well. Want to call your attention, very special, special night of worship. That Sunday, May 28th at 6 p.m., please make a note, be with us here. We invite and encourage you to be with us on that special night. Love, love to show the Lord that we love him back. Amen? It's just a wonderful night of praising and worshiping and praying with other believers. So make a note, make a note on your calendar and be with us here. Also, uh, the Vacation Bible School, by the way, is still uh, looking for leaders for the following teams, worship, adult snacks, security, publicity, and donations. If you would like to participate in that in any of those uh, outreaches, please contact Henry Elgin back in the uh, children's ministry. Uh, there's a phone number there if you need more information, so we ask you to help. By the way, the uh, cafe is serving the regular breakfast and lunch today, so if you uh, were not partaking of the arrachera plate, you can still go in and fellowship with other believers as well. Please remember the uh, food pantry. It's a little low right now, and I thank, I thank those of you that have been bringing in uh, some goodies. The box out there is full this morning, but uh, again, the help is dependent upon what you bring in. So thank you very much for your help. God bless you all. Good morning. <clears throat> There's so much happening in the world today, uh, even at this very hour. Uh, most of you probably realize that uh, President Trump is in Saudi Arabia making a speech or giving a speech, probably already has, at what is called the Arab Islamic American Summit. And after this visit to Saudi Arabia, uh, he's going to fly to Israel and meet there with uh, the uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and others. And then he's going to fly after that visit to Rome and meet with the Pope. Now, I say this, <coughs> excuse me, to point out that 
these are some of the things that we have to keep our eyes and our ears to in relation to Bible prophecy, in relation to what is happening that is being fulfilled in the scriptures, leading to, of course, a few very important biblical events, the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, but also uh, what is uh, happening or is, is being prophesied in Ezekiel chapters 37 through 39. So I say all that to say a couple of things. First of all, we, we will begin our study in Ezekiel chapter 37 on Wednesday night, uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, which is a very significant uh, timing for us. Uh, the following week, more than likely, we'll be in Ezekiel 38. And these, again, are critical uh, chapters because of the times in which we're living in. People uh, and pastors and ministers and churches that do not want to mess with Bible prophecy are leaving out more than a third of the scriptures. And we can't do that. We need to realize that what's happening today it has already been foretold in, in a lot of ways. So as, as Bible-believing people, we need to stay in touch with what is going on uh, with, with things today. So just want to ask you to continue to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom as we touch upon these issues, and we will very shortly uh, uh, deal with the things that, is, things that are happening today as well as this coming week. And uh, I will be keeping you informed about that. John chapter 12. We are going to conclude John chapter 12 uh, today. We've been in John 12 now. This is going to be our sixth week in John 12. But uh, it has been a very uh, critical chapter to, to understand and to know the truths of it because... It brought us to the, the timing of the last week of Jesus' public and earthly ministry. When he entered into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, fulfilling scripture, the people laying before him their cloaks as well as palm branches, and declaring the words of Psalm 118, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. In effect, declaring Jesus as the Mashiach, the Messiah of Israel. And Jesus continued on in chapter 12 to make very clear that he was indeed the Messiah by the things that he did, healing people in the temple, by the things that he said, the very proclamations or statements that he makes by using the time when certain Gentiles, actual Greeks, came seeking him, that he used that opportunity to say, now is the judgment of this world. For now, there is the knowledge of both Jew and Gentile of Jesus reason for being in Jerusalem 
that week as the Lamb of God who was to be sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus said something that needs to be heard before we get into our text in verse 34. And then I'm going to refer to it again. But he said, in effect, that when God spoke, his Father, and this happens here, of course, earlier in verses 28 and 29. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. And now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And this, John adds, he said, signifying what death he should die. With that in mind, we read verse 34, and now we bring to mind our text. And by the way, before we read that, I know that you're probably wondering what that is on the, on the pulpit. It says John, but that's a light bulb. Okay? Last night I saw it from the very back, and I looked, and I said, what is that? I had to come all the way to the front to realize, man, that's a light bulb. But that's good because light is a very important part of our message today. <laughs> okay, I just had to say that. Okay. So the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Well, then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So once again, to this point in our study of chapter 12, Jesus has been misunderstood. I've talked a lot about the misunderstandings here in chapter 12 of the people to Jesus. So he's been misunderstood by the many who were coming to realize the full and true nature of his ministry and his mission on the earth, and especially in the city of Jerusalem. So from the time that he was inquired for by the Greeks, Jesus' statements about his glory were misunderstood. His glory would not come through triumph and fame. They would not come through domination and subjection, but through death, burial, and resurrection. This is why Jesus spoke about the corn of wheat that falleth to the ground. If the corn does not die and is planted, there is no fruit. Jesus must die and buried, but he will rise again. And in his rising again, of course, the fruit, and part of the fruit, of course, is the church, the believer in Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, and the kingdom of God. So, in a word, Messiah's glory was the glory of the cross. Now, that misunderstanding led to the people's misunderstanding of Christ's purpose. And his purpose, of course, was to complete his course and his cause here on earth, which was to glorify his Father, who sent him here to die for the sins of men. Now, he would glorify the Father by his obedience. Now, the third thing that they misunderstood was the world. They ignored and neglected the fact that the world was not perfect or permanent. That's one aspect of their misunderstanding of the world. But also that Jesus was not going to set up an earthly kingdom on this present earth. 
Because certainly when they were crying out to him, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord, they were declaring Jesus to be the one that was going to come and take them out from under the oppression of the Romans. But that's not why he entered into Jerusalem. And it brings us now to the fourth misunderstanding, which concerns Messiah as the light. Now from the text, we know two things, especially verse 34. From the text, we know these two things. A people acknowledged Jesus to be the Messiah of Israel. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 12 when they were declaring him as the son of David. So they acknowledged Jesus to be the Messiah of Israel, and the people understood that the Messiah was to live forever. Those are the two things that they knew. And we see somewhat of that in verse 34. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. So we know that if you're Messiah, you're going to abide forever. But how sayest thou, or and how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? That tells us something. It tells us that they knew that being lifted up meant he was going to be put on the cross. So then, how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? If it isn't you, who is it? So they truly believed that the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom that would last forever. I mean, there are countless number of, of verses, you know, that we, we can read about his eternality, you know, the, the eternal nature of the Messiah. Psalm, 9, Psalm 89 verse 36 says, His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as a son before me. Or Psalm 110 verse 4, The Lord has shown, I'm sorry, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And of course, that is reference again to the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Well, that means it's, it's, eternal, it's eternal upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Once again, there's that phrase, forever. Daniel 7 verse 14 says, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And there are many more scriptures, as I said, to back this up, but, but there was something. There was something that Jesus said right before verse 34 that brought that confusion. I made reference to it earlier, I'll make reference to it again, verses 32 and 33. When Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And John comments and says, this he said, signifying what death he should die. Well, to be lifted up meant he would be lifted up upon a cross. And so they were saying in effect to Jesus, we know from the law that the Messiah abides forever, so how can you say the Son of Man has to be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man of whom you speak if it isn't you? And once again, Jesus emphasizes his claim as the Messiah by his identification as the light. Notice in verse 35, Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. 
In other words, you don't know where you're going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Now Jesus had already established himself as the light of the world. This was one of the great I am statements of Jesus uh, that many of the Jews had already heard. John 8 verse 12, Jesus spake again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. Remember that the I am statement means that he is declaring himself as deity. I am. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, let me make this statement, just, just a simple statement that I believe is a profound statement. Man walks in complete darkness until he follows Jesus Christ. I think it is a biblical statement. As simple as it is, it is full of profound truth. That man walks in complete darkness until he follows Jesus Christ. That certainly goes without saying. I mean, in other words, that's, that's an understood thing. You know? So when, when, what Jesus was pointing out here is that man must walk in the light while he has the light. Well, the light of Jesus' public ministry, his public earthly ministry was about to come to an end. That's what we see in these particular verses. His ministry is about to come to an end. The light had come to the chosen people of Israel as predicted. We read in, in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read the verse 1. I'm not going to explain a lot of it, but uh, those of you who have heard the study in Isaiah 9 understand that this, this was a prophecy of the light or actually of, of the Messiah coming to the region of, of the Galilee and, and it says nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem but we also know that he was raised in Nazareth, uh, in Nazareth and therefore he was called Jesus of Nazareth even though he was born in Bethlehem. Again, the Galilee being the northern region, and if you remember, there, were, uh, there was a divided kingdom at one time, the southern kingdom, northern kingdom. Southern kingdom had good and bad kings, the northern kingdom had all bad kings. So that was a good place for the light to come because that was the darkest area of all of Israel, if, if you will. So the people that walked in darkness, verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. There's the, there's the prophecy of the coming of Messiah to this area and to this, and to this nation. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them has the light shined. Now we also know from the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, that John in his prologue to this whole uh, uh, Gospel of John speaks about the Logos, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 3, he goes on and says, All things were made by Him, the Logos, and without Him, the Logos, or the Word, was not anything made that was made. 
And then he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So we know that the light shined, yet the, yet the, the light shined upon those who did not understand the light, even though they should have understood the light. And so this was the truth of the religious leaders of Israel and most of the people at the time of Jesus. Jesus had come as the light to them, and yet in their darkness, they not only did not comprehend it, but they would not believe in the light. Now, I want you to take note of the two words I just said, would not. They would not believe in the light. And I emphasize that because would not has to do with the will. They would not. It was something that they chose not to do. And I want you to keep that thought in mind. The light, for the most part, was rejected, in other words. The light was rejected. God stated, by the way, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, this is not important, but except for this one point, that God himself said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. The light came. And they did not comprehend the light. Jesus was among them. He said, here I am. I'm the light of the world. But they would not believe. At that point, the Lord would say, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light. But if they would not believe, God was not going to strive with them forever on that issue. So without the light, the people would be groping, they would be stumbling, falling, and dooming themselves to an eternity of darkness, even though the light had come to them. They had become blind to the light. And in verse 36, Jesus said, While you have light, believe in the light that you may be the children of light. There is a significant meaning here in this particular statement. Because when you break this down in, 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 in the tenses of these words, the tense of the word believe, for example, the tense of the word believe gives it the meaning of continuous action. While you have light, believe in the light. Continually believe in the light. The phrase that you may be the children of light, that little phrase that you may be literally means that you may become. That you may become, in, in other words, it is a once for all act, a personal experience that happens all at once. You continue to believe and you continue to believe and become children of light. It's a continuous action. It's not something that stops and goes, stops and goes whenever you want it. it it's a continuous action. That means that a person who truly sees Jesus as the light of the world believes and continues to believe, becoming a child of the light, a child of God himself, in other words. He sees the light and he begins to walk in the light, living according to that light. So consider the words of the Apostle Paul here for just a moment. When Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then, and notice that, in other words, you have to continue this thought. 
So you wake out of sleep and arise from the dead and Christ gives you light. Because when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you didn't have light. You were in darkness. That's why I say that man walks in darkness until he comes to the light of the glory of Christ. But then something else happens. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now that word just means walk carefully and aware of everything around you. Circumspect. Got it? Circum. You know, you circumnavigate. (laughs) You are circumspecting. Like inspecting. Whoops. I was talking out there, but I I couldn't hear. (laughs) Circumspect. Being aware of everything around you. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, most of us know and understand that someone who is completely blind cannot see light. We're all in agreement with that, right? Someone who is completely blind, and they will be the first ones to tell you they don't see light. And as I mentioned earlier, that the Jews would not believe. Well, their spiritual blindness would lead to something more tragic. Remember, they would not believe. So now let's look at verse 37 of John 12. Now John is is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Esaias is Isaiah. Esaias the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now notice verse 39. Therefore, in summation to that statement and to that prophecy, therefore, they could not believe. Are you going to see how tragic that is? First of all, they would not believe, and now they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. And these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory. And spake of him. And that refers to Isaiah chapter 6. And if you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, you realize that at the death of Isaiah, the king, that uh, Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of the Lord filled the temple. And he could see the angels around the throne of God. And he heard the angels saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And at this time as well, in Isaiah chapter 6, it's not a long chapter. You can read it in just a couple of minutes. But there in that same chapter, Isaiah sees an angel go to an altar with coals, and he brings a coal, and he brings it to the lips and tongue of Isaiah and touches it, purifying Isaiah, preparing Isaiah as a prophet of God. So that when God would say, who will go 
for me, to my people, that Isaiah said, here am I, send me. With that, this is what we find. There was already a problem in Israel at that time, time of Isaiah. There was a time of problem in Israel during the time of Jesus. The disbelief of Israel, by the way, folks, was not an accident. The disbelief of Israel was not an accident. It was intentionally raised and nurtured by them. In a word, they stubbornly and persistently tore up Jesus' credentials. And Jesus gave them all the proper credentials. Who he was, who his father was, where he came from, what he could do, what he could say, and say it in the authority that only God can give through the power of his Holy Spirit. And while there are only 36 miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, we know that the Gospel writers recorded statements to show that the Lord performed many more miracles than were specifically documented. Even John would write concerning those miracles in John 20, verses 30 and 31, and he would say, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. (coughs) So we know that every day Jesus did something wonderful. Powerful, noteworthy. But here's the question, and it's a long question, so listen carefully. Here's the question How could Jesus perform so many miracles and signs day after day after day, demonstrating his deity in countless ways, revealing his lordship over the processes and forces of nature and evil spirits, and even over death itself? and foster this kind of unbelief if it wasn't stubbornly deliberate? I'm not going to repeat the question. That's too long. I hope, you got, I hope you got the gist of it. How could Jesus perform all these miracles and still foster this unbelief if it wasn't deliberate and stubborn? The Apostle John would refer to two passages in the book of Isaiah to answer this question. I've referred to one already. I'll come back to that in a moment. But the first reference is to Isaiah 53. And I have to tell you that to this day, the Jewish people, even in the synagogues, do not include Isaiah 53 as one of their readings. Honestly, I believe because they would have to agree who it's speaking about, the suffering servant who gave his life to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But that chapter, Isaiah 53, begins with this verse that John uses as a fulfillment of Scripture in these people that were listening to Jesus before he goes to the cross. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now the Hebrew scriptures speak of the Lord's fingers 
of the Lord's hand. And it speaks of the Lord's arm, doesn't it? Psalm 8 verse 3 says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, We think, wow, with his fingers, he created the heavens and the bodies in the heavens that we see. And then uh, during the exodus from Egypt, it is said to have been wrought by God's mighty hand. We're told in Exodus 32 verse 11, when the children of Israel are already out in, in the wilderness and they're murmuring and complaining and, and, and the Lord makes reference to, to, to Moses. He said, you know what, I think I'm going to wipe these people out. And, and Moses you know, goes and intercedes for them. But in verse 11 it says, Moses besought the Lord as God and he said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So going back to those two examples of the fingers and the hand, the Holy Spirit mentions the creation of all the sun and the stars in the heavens as a very small thing with God. Why? Because it's the work of his fingers. It doesn't take God much to create everything. And the deliverance of his people from Egypt as a work of his mighty hand. But the miracles of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus by contrast, are said to be a demonstration of the power of God's arm. And we know who the arm of God is. Who sits at the right hand of the throne of God? Jesus. Most references to the arm of God is is really a reference to the right arm of God. The right arm of God is Jesus. And what does it say there in Isaiah? Who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And still, still, the Jews had written off such displays of power. Jesus heals a layman from, from uh, you know, been lame for 38 years. And the first thing they can say, the religious leaders, is not praise God that, you know, here's the Messiah before us who is able to heal someone and raise him from his bed and tell him, take up your bed and go on and walk. No, instead they say, hey, he just broke the Sabbath law. He heals a blind man from birth. And all they want to do is take Jesus and get rid of him. But as I said, John quotes from another prophecy in Isaiah. He quotes from Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. This is after Isaiah now says to the Lord, Here am I, send me. You know, sometimes, you know, just for a moment you think, oh, Isaiah, you don't know what you're getting yourself into by putting yourself in that position where you say, here, Lord, I'll go. 
And the Lord says, well, yeah, you're going to go to my people who are, by the way, in this really bad condition. In fact, it goes on and he says, he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and they hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be convert, and, convert and be healed. <laughs> you would think that God would say, yeah, go and tell them, and see if they'll listen to you. They didn't listen to anybody else before Isaiah. The point of the matter is, that they began by not wanting to believe. They would not believe. And now God is saying, they've come to a point where they could not believe. The point of this passage is to show that unbelief is self-spreading. In a a more fancy way, unbelief is self-propagating. What I mean by that is best seen in the example of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. The Pharaoh that hardened his heart against God, against Moses, and against the children of Israel. When Moses came to say to the Pharaoh, let my people go, Pharaoh laughed and hardened his heart. And Moses and his brother Aaron would take the rod that God had given them and, and, and perform supernatural things that were mimicked by the priests of Pharaoh. And we all know this story. It came down to that plague where God said, okay, this is enough. And And the text tells us before the Passover, the very first Passover, that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he would continue to harden his heart. In other words, he would not let God's people go. He would not until there came a time when God eventually hardened his heart for him confirming Pharaoh in his position of hardness. Whereas he would not let God's people go, now he could not, for God hardened his heart. The people didn't want to see the light, then God blinded their eyes. They didn't want to believe, then God made firm their position so that they could not believe. That's why I believe that verse 39 of our text in John 12 is one of the the most tragic and, and, and saddest verses in the scriptures. Therefore, they could not believe because God blinded them then confirming their own desire and rejection of the light. They didn't want to believe. And so God made that firm so they could not. I want to tell you that God, or I should say that Paul, through 
the Holy Spirit, refers to this in Romans chapter 1. Don't have time to go through all of, the, of, of chapter 1 of Romans, but I think many of you have read it enough to know that it begins in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And it goes on to talk about, you know, how, how men professing themselves to be wise became fools and, and began to believe in, uh, uh, you know, to uh, exalt the, the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And, and so on and so forth. But then he gets into some specifics. And, you know, when you read I, uh, Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 on to the end, you begin to realize that's not only talking about Paul's time and times before Paul, but it's even talking about our own time. And so Paul would mention certain things that, there were, that they were doing and, and, and wanting to reject in the truth. And then in verse 24 of Romans 1, he says, Wherefore God also gave them up. He says, If this is what they were doing, then he gives them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And then he goes on and lists a few other things. And in verse 26, he's, he, he brings that to a summation in the sense that he says, for this cause, God gave them up, gave them up again. In other words, he, he, he confirmed what, they, what was in their hearts. He gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And if you read on, you realize that it wasn't just women, but men. And of course, doing things that we see happening in our world today. Then he would mention a little bit more, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, he says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, is that not our, our day and time today? I mean, you can look at the way kids are being taught in public schools today, all the way up into, into higher levels of education, and, and the more that you, they, they go, the more they're being told that there is no God, even though they may have been raised in the church. And so even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or fitting. So even then, we see what's happening in our world today is the same very principle. People would not believe. Eventually, if they stayed in that particular state, they could not believe. But all of that is in the, in the mind and hand and understanding of God. This next passage in our text in John prompts us then to ask another question. Can there be silent believers? Can there be silent believers? Think about what is said in verses 42 and 43 of our text in John 12. Jesus goes on and says, nevertheless among... Uh, I'm sorry. i got to slow down here. Must have been that extra coffee I drank this morning. John goes on. John says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So, so the tragic becomes more tragic. That even if there were those who would profess some belief, because of the Pharisees, they didn't confess. I don't know if you noticed the title of the message. The title of the message is profess or confess? Question mark. Profess or confess? Now, the two words are very close in meaning in the English. But when you get into the full meaning of the words biblically, you realize that some people can make certain professions of faith, but never make a confession of faith. 
The word confession is a very deep, meaningful word pertaining to what's going on here in John 40, 12, 42, and 43. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So since the Lord also knows the hearts of men, and he alone knows the hearts of men. I don't know the hearts of men. You don't know the hearts of men. I think that we would know people by, by, by their fruits. And of course, the Lord tells us that we can know people by their fruits. That's in the scripture. But since the Lord alone knows the hearts of men, it isn't for us to be the judges. Conversely, their fruit was made known with the statement, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So there were those with convictions. Now you can have a conviction and you can profess that conviction, but does that mean that conviction is going to stick? So they were the, there were those with convictions. Many believed on him. I can tell you this today, that there are a lot of people that we've talked to that will tell you, oh yeah, I believe in God. Oh yeah, I go to church a couple of times a year. Oh, you know, I believe in God. You know, they're CEOs, Christian, uh, Christmas and Easter only. They go to church and, and, and you know, and they, they, and they can use a little bit of the language, you know, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in God, praise the Lord, you know, whatever. But their lives don't reflect that. And they don't really know. I can't judge that. What's in their heart, only God knows. But then it's their fruit. It's how they say, what they say, how they act. So there were those with convictions. Many believed on Jesus. But their cowardice became apparent because of the Pharisees' power to remove the believers from the synagogue. They were more afraid of losing position and power or losing some kind of, of prestige in the community. Tight-knit communities, folks. Still to this day, be a shameful thing for someone to say, well, you know, because of the way you've been talking to the Christians and all of this, you know, maybe you need to step down from this synagogue and go over here. You know what that would cost for some people? A lot of money in their business. And I don't say that just about the Jewish people. I'm saying that about even Christians today. So moving from conviction to cowardice would always lead to compromise. The compromise was that they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They'd rather hear men praise them in a worldly, sensual sense than to hear the praise of God. Now, we are called to praise God. We who are human, finite, we are aware of our mistakes, we're aware of our struggles and our trials. And yet the Lord receives our praises when we surrender ourselves to the Lord and, and, and love him in spite of what we do. And he receives us again and again. 
Because we know that one day we want to hear the words, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. But when all we want to hear is what men have to say about us in the worldly sense and not want to hear the praise of God and maybe not even want to give the praise of God, there's a, a tremendous problem. Now, I want to be clear about something. This number of people that were listening to Jesus that day would have included two men. It would have included Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, both members of the Sanhedrin, both members of this council that were concerned about Jesus, both of whom would lay aside their compromise when they saw what the Sanhedrin did with Jesus. Nicodemus, because he had spoken to Jesus privately by night one day, and Jesus made it clear to him that unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Joseph would be bold enough to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. They may have begun with conviction. They might have moved into some cowardice. They might have compromised their walk for a time, but they ended with their lives giving confession to Jesus as their Lord. So that I say to say there is hope that even if you would not believe in the light, you can still come to the light. I have to say to you that compromise of this sort is very costly. And it's costly because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, when he said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men. It is the very same word in the Greek that we see in John, that we see in in uh, in Romans. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. That's how compromise can be so costly that even Jesus himself would say, whoever shall confess me before men, See, we don't know the hearts of men, but we do know one thing. We cannot be a believer and stay silent about our faith. Stay silent about our love of Jesus Christ. Stay, stay silent about Jesus Christ at all. Look, we can either be in the midst of churchianity or we can be where God wants us to be in Christianity, which is to be Christ-like, to be Christ-proclaiming, to be Christ-loving, 
to be Christ-filled. Or we can deny. The fact of the matter is, all of us as believers, no matter how we struggle in life, we're still believers. We can still give good testimony. But we must daily surrender ourselves to Jesus. I mentioned Paul's use of the word confess because in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11 he would write using the same word again as Jesus used the same word in the Greek that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved now that's a tremendous statement isn't it you confess with your mouth that means you're not silent I know that the question would come up. Well, what if a person is, is mute? Well, if a person is mute, he learns sign language, and that's his, that's his mouth. Do you understand? Don't try to come up with some reason to argue with Paul and the Holy Spirit. Just understand, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, it comes from the heart. That God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We cannot be silent. Our lives in the world are to be light. Think of what Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you are the light of the world. A city upon a hill cannot be hidden. Because even at night when a city is, is uh, to be seen up on a hill, you see the light so you'll know where it is. A city, a city upon a hill cannot be hid. So he says, don't cover up your light with a bushel basket. But let your light so shine before men that they might glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine. What light is that? That is the light of your confession. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We're going to close with Jesus' last public address in the Gospel of John. The last public address. Remember that we are told we're told that he is now hiding himself from them. Yet Jesus, one last time, cries. Jesus cried and said, and we, we, we studied this word cried a while back when Jesus cried out. 
during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. He cried out, which means he screamed out so that all would hear him. And he said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. You know why, why Jesus said that? Because so often Jesus had these, these run-ins with, with, with the religious leaders and, and, and all of these people who would keep telling him things like, you know what, you talk about your father, but you know what, Abraham is our father. Or they would say in some way, well, no, God is our father. Yeah, well, he's our father. And then Jesus would clarify. He said, no, 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 no. You're of your father, the devil. Remember that? <laughs> well, Jesus always made it really clear. I mean, this is the bottom line here. So when he shouts this out about believing in him, he says, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. So if you're saying that you believe me, but you can't say anything because you're afraid of losing your position or your power or, or, or your prestige and not being in the synagogue any longer, there's something wrong here. But on him that sent me, and he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. Jesus, the express image of the Father. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father, he said. I am come a light into the world who that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And it brings us back to what Jesus said in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And once again, Jesus is just confirming all of these things, shouting to the people. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. I'm sure their ears perked up. He said, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father would sent me. He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. You see, in verses 44 through 46, Jesus repeated his amazing statement that he was the light of the world. Now, this extends from the time when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man in John chapter 9, when the disciples had come to him and they saw this blind man, they said, okay, Jesus, I got a question. We got a question for you. Is this man blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? You all remember that? And you all remember the response. Let me just bring it back to your memory. Master, who did 
sinned, this man or his parents, that he, he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, daylight. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The fact is, Jesus will open the eyes of anyone who is willing to admit that they are blind and that they need the light of the world. And remember, people are blind primarily because they're spiritually dead. So they walk in darkness. And when you walk in darkness, you have no light. You can be alive physically, but you're dead spiritually. But Jesus will open the eyes of anyone who is willing to admit that they're blind and that they need that light, the light of the world. What we need to realize as we close that we are going to be judged by the words, or by the word of God, I should say. This is one of the reasons why it is so important for us to stay in God's word each and every day. This is one main reason why it is imperative for us here at this church to, to, to teach the word of God from Genesis to Revelation and not to leave any verses out. Every verse is important. Even all of those begats, you know, and Book of Numbers and all these other places, you know, all these genealogies, you know. All of those are important. We can't make light of anything that's in the Word of God. And that's because we're going to be judged by the Word of God. We're not going to be judged by our good works. We have more works than, than we used to have last week. We got more works this week. God is going to judge us better. No, He's not. We're not judged by our good works, which are minuscule at best. We won't be judged by what we think true religion or spirituality is. You know, we're not going to be judged because we see nice things on Facebook. We're not going to be judged for those things. Well, we might be judged if we're writing a bunch of trash. But we will be judged by God's precious word. Jesus came the first time as the Savior. He will come again himself as the judge. And there's still a voice that we still need to listen to. There is a voice that we still need to listen to. And that's the voice of God the Father himself. May I direct you to Matthew 17, verse 5. This is our last verse of scripture today. As you're turning to Matthew 17, you may come to realize that it is the account of Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up to a mountain the mountain we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Many believe it was at Mount Hermon up in the northern part of Israel. And there, Jesus was glorified and met with Moses and Elijah. And while they're having their conversation, the three disciples are looking on. And it was at this moment that 
this happens. Verse 5, it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now take note of the last three words. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what he says. And I can assure you, he said a lot. It's all written in his word. Listen to what Jesus said when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and take my yoke upon you, for I am meek, lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Hear ye him, hear Jesus, and come to him. I am the light of the world, he said. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Come to Jesus. Listen to him. And look for him. It was also Jesus who said, Look up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. I can assure you that's closer now than last week when we were here. Closer. His redemption draws near. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. Hear him. Hear Jesus. And remember this. Remember that he loves you with an everlasting love. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you and we bless you for this day and for your word. Your word that constantly reminds us, Lord, of your love and mercy and grace. In spite of our own struggles and trials, we come to you. Thankful to you for another day, another time, another moment. Lord, that we can pour out our hearts to you and know that you know our every need before we even ask. We pray, Father, that you will strengthen our lives and our hearts today. Remind us, Lord, that you are ever with us. 
and that, Lord, we want our own lives to, to remain in your care and in your love. Strengthen our hearts today, O oh God. Strengthen our understanding of your words. Strengthen our understanding of your presence. Strengthen, Lord, our understanding of your mercies and your grace. And fulfill, Lord, your desires in us and with us and through us and for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, wholeness, and completeness. Enjoy the time of fellowship today after we, we close, after we sing a song. If you need prayer, come up to the front and one of our leaders will be up here to pray with you. Uh, enjoy the uh, breakfast or lunch or whatever it is that we have out there. There's a lot of stuff uh, prepared for you. And I, and I know that uh, those of you that uh, supported the, uh, the Arrachera, uh, you're supporting the, the scholarship fund. So that's a, that's a blessed thing. So have a wonderful day in the Lord. Uh, we look forward to seeing you not only this week. You know, the Lord can come today and praise the Lord if he does. Uh, we can just go home. Uh, but uh, unless he tarries, then uh, we'll see you again. And I uh, want to remind you that next Sunday, not today, but next Sunday night, we're going to have our night of worship. And we really encourage you all to come. It'll be a wonderful time of fellowship and worship. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing that.